So, uh, today we're going to be kicking off a brand new series. We're calling it Acts 29. By the way, anybody know how many chapters are in the book of Acts? 28. Yeah, yeah. Well, Acts 29 is not our scripture because there's no Acts 29 in the Bible. But I'll, I'll explain to you what Acts 29 is about in a few minutes. Uh, real quick, uh, real quick, what we're going to do... Uh, Matt, could you give me some water, please? Okay, real quick, uh, uh, just I want to I want to kind of show you guys a little bit from our vacation. Can I do that? Can I do that? Can I tell you a little bit about our vacation? So I've got a couple slides up here, and we'll go one by one here. If you could, the first one, uh, this is this is uh, Joy and the kids, uh, my sister Angie, my mom Gladys, uh, and we're all together at a place called the Purple Cow. And I I don't know if you you noticed the milkshakes. Can you see the milkshakes? All right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, purple milkshakes, they're fantastic. Thank you, sir. Uh, they're really, really good. And uh, so we, we went to the Purple Cow. Uh, after we went to the Purple Cow, we went to this place, Hohog Cafe. All right, and I was going to show you a picture of my sandwich, but I thought, no, that would nauseate you, okay? Uh, but it was, like, massive. It's really, really good. If you like barbecue, it is a fantastic place to go. But we went to uh, Hohog Cafe. But then that wasn't enough, so we went to this other place, Eat My Catfish. That's the EMC. <laughs> Faithy, can you stand up? Okay, and turn around. Can you all see this? That's the Eat My Catfish t-shirt, all right? And so uh, at Eat My Catfish, we had uh, fried catfish, obviously. We had, uh, we had fish fries. I mean, you, you can't have catfish without fries. Uh, we, we had fried hush puppies, all right? Uh, and we had uh, fried okra, okay? And uh, we also had fried green tomatoes. And, uh, and then we had Tums. And, and it was great. And it was great. And for some of you who are wondering, is the only thing we did in Little Rock was to eat? Almost, almost, but next picture, please. Uh, the other thing, this is a picture of me sleeping it off uh, next to a chicken. And... Uh, and yeah, I don't have mad cow's disease. I have sleepy hog disease, okay? So uh, actually, we went up to, my sister has about uh, 31, 32 acres uh, in a little, just outside a little town in Malvern. And uh, this is a little farm, a camp, actually a church camp that's right next door to where her property is. And we went over there. We visited the property, uh, came back with lots of ticks, you know, uh, a bunch of ticks. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, if you go to Arkansas and Oklahoma, uh, the, there's lower gas prices, a lot lower, like half the cost is here. Yeah, it's like $2.25 a gallon, okay? And, uh, but the other thing that they have, along with cheaper gas, is they've got ticks, chiggers, and mosquitoes, okay? So if you want to live there, be my guest, all right? Uh, but... Uh, we were there. We also went to Oklahoma, and uh, this is a picture of Vic and Sylvia, Joy's parents. And I don't know if you can tell, but what that is, uh, there's a couple of big frying pans there, and there's more. Uh, is, is he is Vic, my, my father-in-law, he fried like 45 fish, okay? Uh, and he caught all of them. He caught all of them. And, uh, but we, we, and why, you're, some of you are like, why do you need to fry 45 fish? Well, first of all, I'm eating, Okay. I'm eating, but these other people are eating too. Can I get that? Okay, so this is just part of the family. Um, this is, of course, Joy and me uh, and, and uh, our three kids, Caleb, Cass, and Faith. 
uh, but then uh, Vic and Sylvia, my uh, father and mother-in-law, but then also Tim and Lori, and they only have 11 kids. Only have 11. Only have 11. And then Tori uh, is their oldest daughter, uh, is married uh, to Lucas. He's in the picture as well. And so there are four Baptist ministers in that picture, okay? Uh, there's there's uh, Vic, my father-in-law, uh, my, my brother-in-law, uh, Tim, and then also, well, obviously me. And, and then Lucas, is a, uh, he's a youth pastor in a, a church there in Tulsa. And uh, unfortunately, Dave and uh, Renee and their three boys couldn't be with us. And then Phil and Jessica, uh, Phil is Joy's other brother. They've got five kids. Uh, but I say unfortunately they couldn't be with us. The great thing is when it's only this group, at least you can get a little bit of bathroom time, okay? Uh, but we had a good time. Oh, I think I have another. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got to show you this. This is Vic. Uh, in his Eagle Scout uniform, in his Eagle Scout uniform, yeah. He be, he be, anybody else, anybody in Eagle Scout? All right, Joe, okay, man, Stan, Chad, are you an Eagle Scout? All right, fantastic, and Sean, you're an Eagle Scout, that's great. Are you an Eagle Scout, Chuck? Wow, okay, I'm impressed, okay, uh, we got a lot of Eagle Scouts. But what happened was, uh, Vic became an Eagle Scout when he was 15 years old, and so what he did uh, as a 15-year-old boy, he got a letter uh, from Dwight Eisenhower, uh, former president of the United States, uh, former commander of our troops in Europe during World War II. Uh, but he got a picture from, uh, from Dwight Eisenhower as a 15-year-old kid uh, congratulating him. So what, uh, what Vic did was he wrote a letter to President Trump, and there was a young man in Cushing, Oklahoma, who had recently become an Eagle Scout, and so he asked if President Trump would send him uh, a letter. And so President Trump sent, I'm sorry, this is not meant to be a political campaign or anything like that, but I still thought it was kind of cool, is that, that he wrote a letter to this young man uh, and enclosed with it a copy <laughs> of my father-in-law's letter. And I'm laughing because the way my father-in-law writes letters is kind of interesting sometimes. Uh, but it got read, and the other letter got written, and they were sent to this young uh, man in Cushing, and I got a picture with both of them. And then this one last picture, uh, this is Joy uh, and her parents, uh, Vic and Sylvia, uh, Faith, me, Cassidy, Caleb. Uh, this is Father's Day the other day, and it was great being able to be together, all of us. And uh, my father-in-law, Vic, uh, he's one of my heroes. He is. I mean, I have a few, but he's one of my heroes. And what I appreciate about my father-in-law, my father-in-law is 81 years old, uh, 81 years old. And this was his last Sunday uh, ministering to this smaller congregation in Cushing, Oklahoma. I'll, I'm going to uh, say a word about that a little bit later. But, you know, what I appreciate is that, that uh, my father-in-law is not coasting to the finish. He's serving Jesus to the finish. And uh, uh, my mother-in-law as well. And uh, they're just, you know, that's what Joy and I, what we want to do is we want to be able to serve Jesus to the very end. Uh, and then uh, we look forward to, to being able to see him again. That's kind of what, we're, what, what our hopes are, are fixed on and set on. Uh, what I want to do today is ramble. And some of you are saying, okay, nothing's changed. All right, Gary's gone on vacation. He's going to do the same thing. Uh, I'm going to ramble a little bit more than usual. I'm going to ramble a little bit more than usual because really, I'm kind of in this place of just kind of thinking, reflecting, 
And I've been asking God a lot over the last few weeks. I've been asking God, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do with my life? And some of you are like, Gary, you're 59 years old. It's too late, you know. Your life is done, all right? But I've been asking God, uh, what does he want me to do? What's he want me to do? And, And a couple of things I've been hearing God say to me is I've been hearing God say to me that he wants me to love the people I'm with. Okay? He wants me to love the people I'm with. And the other thing that I'm, I'm hearing God say is that he wants me to serve the people I'm with. He wants me to love. He wants me to serve. And there are a few other things he wants me to do. But we are ramping up to what we call a week of hope. And, and so I'm praying and I'm thinking about what is it, God, that you're wanting us to do? And so what I want to do is on the front end of this message, I want to just read for you three texts of Scripture. That way, if you get lost in my rambling, if nothing else, we'll know that you heard from God. Okay? That's what we want. We don't want to hear from Gary. We want to hear from God. And in in just three scriptures I want to share with you. The first one is this. It's Matthew 16, 18. Matthew 16, 18. There had been some controversy about Jesus and who Jesus was. And and so... um, uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's asking them, who do you say that I am? And, 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 and Peter says, you know, you are the Christ, the Messiah, uh, the Son of God. And, and so what, uh, and in the context of that, um, of that conversation, Jesus makes this very, very bold claim. He says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And, and that may or may not be something you connect with right now. I hope it will be something you really connect with before you leave today. Uh, the second word I want to share with you, uh, Acts 1.8, and, and these, these are the, the words of Jesus to his disciples. He had, he had uh, been crucified. He had raised from the dead. The Bible tells us that he appeared to his disciples over a period of 40 days with many convincing proofs. Uh, the scriptures tell us that Jesus didn't just appear <coughs> excuse me, to one or two people here and there. But Jesus appeared to many of his disciples with many convincing proofs. And on one occasion, he appeared to more than 500. And he came to them in a way where they were just uh, they were blown away. Uh, that it was Jesus and that he was alive from the dead. Anybody ever meet a dead person alive again? I mean, that would be pretty amazing. That would be pretty amazing. If you had any question about God, any question about Jesus, that, that for me would answer a lot of questions. But what Jesus tells his disciples, because they're wanting to know about God's timetable on some different things, and, and Jesus says, really, don't worry about all that. I'll take care of that. I'll take care of that. But then he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. God has revealed himself in three persons, uh, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And he says, but when you, re- you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you should be my witnesses. You should be my witnesses, uh, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And, and so what Jesus is doing here for us is he's defining for us a lot of what our lives are supposed to be about. One other text of Scripture, uh, and this is one that we looked at just a while back, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here, but just kind of remind you about this. 
Again, Jesus is speaking to his disciples after his resurrection, after having appeared to them. And he says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I told you this morning I kind of want to ramble. Uh, I want to ramble. What I want to do is I want to talk with you about three questions. Three questions. And the first question, well, let me just give you the questions real quick. First of all, what is the church? What is our mission? And how did a, a little group of 120 people, how did a little group of 120 messianic Jews become a worldwide movement of 2.3 billion people. How did that happen? Today there are 2.3 billion people in our world who claim to be followers of Jesus. How did a group of 120 become a group of 2.3 billion? Well, let me take these questions one at a time. And, and let me just start with this question about, about what is the church? What is the church? And um, that what the scripture, sometimes, uh, sometimes you'll hear me say that the church is not a building. Okay? I like to say that a lot. Church is not a building. Uh, sometimes you'll hear me say the church is not a service time when we meet on Sunday mornings. That's not what the church is. Uh, but what you'll hear me say is the church is who we are. The church is who you are. It's who I am. It's who we are when we are following Jesus and living his mission together. That's why we as a church are going to do Week of Hope in the third week of July. It's because we believe the church is not, it's not, uh, it's not a place that we go. It's a people that we are. Uh, it's, it's a people that we are when we're following Jesus and we're living his mission together. But there's a little bit more to it than that. A little bit more to it than that. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, what Jesus says, he says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And if you have been reading through, again, how many of y'all have been reading through the book of Acts with us? Okay, quite a few of you. And as you've been reading through the book of Acts, uh, some of the things you see is you see this outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the people of God. You see these people who are, um, they're, it's pretty incredible. It's like they are boldly telling people about Jesus. They are loving and serving one another. They're like hugely generous. They are, are praying together. They are uh, they're experiencing opposition together. Sometimes they're persecuted. Sometimes they're rejected. Um, and, and then what they do is after they're persecuted and after they're rejected, they do something that's so not like me. They rejoice. They rejoice that they're worthy. They were considered worthy of suffering for the name of Jesus. And then what they do is they pray. I pray. God, I pray you'd make those mean people nice. You know, make this a little bit easier, God. Why does it have to be so hard to follow you? Okay? No, that's not the way they pray. 
is what they pray for in the middle of opposition, in the middle of persecution, is they pray for boldness to continue to proclaim the name. And, and, and it's interesting, as you're reading through the book of Acts, what you see is you see 120 people all of a sudden become 3,000 people. All of a sudden become 5,000 men plus women and children. And then as you read through the book of Acts, you, you, you read these phrases about how the word of God continued to spread, how they greatly increased in number. And you're reading about how more and more people are coming to Christ. What is the church and what does it look like? And sometimes, you know, what I've, I've described it as is a worldwide movement. And, 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 but it's not just a worldwide movement. It is a worldwide Jesus movement. That the church is a spiritual, because it's a work of the Holy Spirit, it's a spiritual Jesus movement that was born in Acts 2 with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason I'm calling this series Acts 29 is because when you read through the book of Acts, you understand that, that, that Luke, he wrote two books. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, which is the beginning of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And then he wrote the, the book of Acts, which is the continuation uh, of all that Jesus was doing as his disciples and followers were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the reason I'm calling the, our series Acts 29 is because I believe, I believe, that we are supposed to be a continuation of that ongoing movement today. What does this movement look like? I think it looks like a lot of things. I do. I think, I think sometimes this worldwide movement, it looks, like, uh, it looks like simple country folk in a small rural town in northeastern Oklahoma. That's what it looks like. It, it looks like very, very simple uh, country folk in northeastern Oklahoma where uh, you, you meet this, this guy and, and, and when I was there, I, I was just, when I was at my father-in-law's church, I, I met this middle-aged black man. And what I saw in him, it was like he was afraid to make eye contact. He, he was a man who was so uh, broken-hearted over his sin, longing for, longing for a forgiveness that I take for granted. Now, sometimes this, sometimes this, uh, uh, this this Jesus movement, it, it looks like a, a lot of young, hip, uh, cool, young people who are starting a brand new church in, in Davis, California. Uh, we visited last Sunday with, with my daughter. And it looks like these young, hip, cool, uh, uh, I used to be one of them a long time ago. But it, seriously, I did. I was one time, okay. Uh, but it, it looks like, it, and, and they don't even know what they don't know about the church yet. They don't even know what they don't know. And I can say that because I used to be, that was me. But this is what they do know. See, it's not what they don't know. It's who they know. What they, they know is they know Jesus. And they know the hope that he offers. And they know this, this passion to be able to share this hope with others. Uh, sometimes this, this worldwide uh, Jesus movement, it looks like a small group of Iranians small group of Iranian Christians who, are, um, who are, are worshiping God behind locked windows and locked doors for fear of being discovered. And yet, even with that fear, there's a boldness, a boldness to proclaim Jesus and a boldness to worship Him, joyfully worship Him, even in an environment 
where there's a lot of opposition and a lot of persecution. But sometimes this worldwide movement, it looks like you and me. It looks like you and me doing things, going out, serving in our community, doing things like helping at the leaven. Uh, it looks like uh, doing things like, like washing people's car uh, and, 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 you know, giving blood and, and, and trying to feed people and, and attend to people's needs in a way that we're showing people in a very, very concrete way that they matter to God by showing them that they matter to us. It looks like that. It looks like showing people they matter to God in such a way that they want to know, they want to know about the hope that we have uh, where we can point them to Jesus. This movement of the church, it, it looks so different everywhere you look. It doesn't always look the same. Uh, it, 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 no two churches are the same, but Jesus loves every one of these churches and every person in every one of these churches. He doesn't love one group more or less than the other because of their level of education, their nationality, or how hip or cool they are. But he loves every one of us, just like a father loves every one of his children, or mother loves every one of her children. So what is our mission as the church? Uh, And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because what I'm going to do is I'm going to develop this over the next three weeks. But our mission, uh, Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You should be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. And also Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That what Jesus wants for us and our mission is that Jesus wants us to be spirit-empowered witnesses. See, here's the thing is, is that I don't know if you've ever felt inadequate. I don't know if you've ever felt inadequate to ever point another person to Jesus. And if you've ever felt inadequate, the reason that you feel inadequate is because we are. Okay? That, that, that ultimately, another person being saved is a supernatural act of God. And uh, the only way, the only way that God can use us is as we are filled with the Spirit. And that's the reason that Jesus tells his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses uh, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. By the way, in being witnesses to the remotest parts of the earth, I mean, I think it's great to send missionaries to other countries. It's interesting, as you read through the book of Acts, the remotest parts of the earth, Acts 28, is where? It's Rome. It's Rome. But where the remotest parts of the earth is right now, it's Green Valley. It's Susun. It's Fairfield. It's Vacaville. It's right where God has brought you. Because God is the one who's brought you where you are. That what God wants us to be is he wants us to be powerful witnesses for him. He wants us to be powerful witnesses for him who are making disciples of all nations who are baptizing new believers in the name of the triune God, uh, teaching them to obey Jesus in all things. Last question, and and this is where I I wanted to get to, and and I hope I can do this justice, is how did a ragtag group of 120 Messianic Jews become a Jesus movement of 2.3 billion people? And and I I think, you know, uh, and, and, and the answer to how 
is in answering the question, who? Okay? The answer to how did a group of 120 Messianic Jews become a worldwide movement of 2.3 billion people, and the answer to that question is in who? See, what the Bible says is Jesus is speaking. He says, I will build my church. By the way, it's not my job to build the church. It's not my job. It's not your job. Okay? It's the job of Jesus. Jesus said, I will build my church. Uh, It was funny. This morning, uh, I watched a little video clip. I don't know if any of y'all, maybe a long time ago, ever watched Field of Dreams. Anybody see Field of Dreams? Kevin Costner, back when he was young, hip and cool. Okay? Uh, And uh, even further go go than mine, okay? Anyway, uh, Kevin Costner, uh, he's he's out walking through this cornfield in one part uh, of the movie. And he's in, in, and he can hear, he's walking, and his wife is sitting up on the porch with his daughter. And he's walking, and he hears this voice whisper to him, If you build it, they will come. If you build it, they will come. And this is really, this is funny to me. This is funny. Actually, we were talking about this the other, other day uh, that Sharon and I were talking about this. Is that, that little phrase from Field of Dreams became the mantra of every church planner in North America. We, we kind of had this idea, you know, if you build it, they will come. Oh, if you go out and build a church, they'll come. You know, if you build it, they'll come. And folks, if I build it, it's nothing. But if Jesus builds it, it's everything. How did this, this ragtag group of 120 Messianic Jews become become this this huge movement of 2.3 billion people? Folks, let me tell you how it happened. Let me tell you how it happened. But first, let me digress because that's what I do best, okay? Um, Tuesday night, Tuesday night, I was kind of struggling with some stuff. Actually, still am. And uh, I, I, so I called up my brother-in-law, David. And uh, Dave is, uh, he's a pastor of a church uh, there in Denver and uh, also teaches at a seminary there at... Uh, uh, Denver Seminary in, in Denver, Colorado. And we were talking about some things, but what, what I did was I was going to talk to Dave, and so what I did was I, I, I went out there, and we were talking. I, was, I, I went over to, to Rockville Cemetery, okay, which I know is kind of weird because, you, because I've got my earbuds in, you know, my, my uh, smartphone earbuds on my phone, and I'm walking around, and I'm talking to my brother-in-law who's not present, and I'm thinking about this later, and I'm thinking, you know, if somebody saw me out there in the cemetery walking around talking, they would have thought, man, that guy is a nutcase, which is probably not too far from the truth. But I, what I want you to imagine is that what we're going to do for Week of Hope is we're going to go out to Rockville Cemetery. We're going to go out to Rockville Cemetery, and this is what we're going to do. We're going to raise the dead. Okay? That's what we're going to do. We're going to go out to Rockville Cemetery and we're going to raise the dead. You ever raised a dead person before? We're going to go out there and let me ask you a question. If we're going to go out to Rockville Cemetery and we were going to raise a dead person, how would you do it? How would you do that? If you sing praise songs, that's what's it. Yeah, 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 shovel. That's a pretty good one. Okay, the only time I've seen dead people rise is in a horror movie. But, but, but beyond that, uh, but let's you know. Let's go out there. And, and who are we going to take with us? Who are we going to take with us to raise this dead person? 
We're going to take maybe a really rockin' fantastic worship band. You know, maybe we get, we, get, we get Matt out there, we get Matt out there, and we get our band with Corey and Dan and Joy and Elsa and, and others, and, we get, and, and we're going to spice it up a little bit. We're going we're gonna to we're, we're lead Eddie Van Halen to Christ, and we're going to get him to play guitar for us, okay? And uh, we're going we're gonna to invite, what's that guy's name? Um, uh, doggone it, uh, White Flag. Um, yeah, Chris Tomlin. We get Chris Tomlin in to to do it with this, and and Jason's going to come, and he's going to help, and we'll get John Bolds out there as well. We're going to get all these guys, and we're gonna we're gonna get this fantastic band. And then what we're going to do is we're not going to settle for a second-rate preacher. We're going to bring in some really good preachers. So we're going to bring in Francis Chan. We're going to bring in uh, Craig Michelle. And we're going to have these guys, so we're going to have fantastic speakers, and we're going to have a fantastic band. And we're going to raise the dead. You know how many dead people we're going to raise? Zero. You know, it's interesting. It's interesting. When you read the Bible, and it talks about people who don't know Jesus, you know what it says about them? It says they're dead. They're spiritually dead. Well, you need to understand, and what I need to understand, that that, the only way a person becomes a follower of Jesus is the result of a miracle. Now, some of us, we don't really believe that. We don't really believe it's a miracle. We believe if we can package the gospel really, really well, if we can put together this fantastic band, if we can get someone who is super with their testimony, if we can do all those things that somehow... We're going to help God out. But that's not how you raise dead people. You see, when a dead person rises, it is a miracle of God that only God can do. And when a person is spiritually dead, it is a miracle of God that only God can do. And so we're going to love and we're going to serve people in this community. And we're going to have our own version of that band. We're going to settle for a second-rate preacher. And, uh, but more than all of that, we're going to ask God to work. And we're going to ask God to do what only God can do. Folks, the reason that we ask you to do 40 days of prayer, we're not trying to psych you up to get involved. Psyching people up, it doesn't, it doesn't help. It doesn't work. But what we're going to do is we're going to pray and we're going to seek and we're going to ask God to do what only God can do. And that's the reason I ask you to sign up if you haven't and to pray if you're not. And what we're going to do is is on Sunday night, a lot of us are going to gather, or as many as want to, we're going to gather and we're going to pray. And you know why we're going to gather and pray at 6 o'clock next Sunday evening? Because if we show up and God doesn't, nothing's going to happen. But if God shows up, the dead can be raised. You ask me, you didn't, but I'm going to say you're doing it, okay? You ask me, how does a ragtag group of 120 messianic Jews become a worldwide movement of 2.3 billion people? And let me tell you, it's through 2.3 billion miracles. The answer to how is the church built is in the person who I will build my church. Who is I? 
Before creation, He was. He was in the beginning with God. He was with God the Father. He was with God the Son. Or excuse me, God the Spirit. He was with God, and He was God from the very beginning. By His spoken word, by His spoken word, the heavens and billions of stars were created. Billions upon trillions of stars were created. He is the one. He is the light of the world. He is the resurrection of life. He is the one who, was, who, 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 being fully God, took on the fullness of our humanity, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, who was born of a virgin, who lived a sinless life, absolutely sinless, perfect in every way life. Not just a good life, a perfect life. And he went to the cross for you. He went to the cross for you. Because you are loved by Him. And He went to the cross for me. And He went to the cross for every person in this community who's not in a church today. He went to the cross for them. And this Jesus, he, 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 he did something spectacular. He rose from the dead. And Craig Rochelle and Francis Chan and, and Chris Tomlin had nothing to do with it. Neither did I. He defeated the power of sin and death. And he has ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he is Lord. He is Lord of all. And he is coming again. And he will judge the living and the dead. And he will reign forever. How does a group of 120 Messianic Jews become 2.3 billion followers of Jesus. It's through one miracle after another miracle after another miracle after another. After every miracle that's represented in this room right now by every person who said, God, I want to humble myself before you. I want to humble myself before you. I want to confess I am a sinner. I have sinned against you. That, that uh, I, I want you, um, I, want, I want to thank you. I believe that you, that you are who you, you claim to be, that you rose again, that you defeated the power of sin and death, and I want you to come into my life. Give my sin to make me the kind of person you want me to be. And the message of the gospel is not a self-improvement message. It is a salvation message. And the only, the only answer to the question is, how do we explain the church is in the person of Jesus? It's in what he's done. You know, after the service today, you're going to have some opportunities. We're going to have some opportunities to sign up to serve in different ways with Week of Hope. But more important than all of that, we have got to ask God to do what only He can do in the lives of our friends. You know, what I want to encourage you to do a while back, <coughs> I gave you a 3 by 5 card, and I asked you to write down the name of one person in our community that you would love to see 
them come to know Jesus and to put it on your, your bathroom mirror, wherever you're going to see it every day, maybe while you're brushing your teeth, but where you'll see it every day where you can pray for that person. If you haven't done that yet, I want to encourage you to do that. But begin praying. And, uh, and so we're going to take some time later, and we're going to have an opportunity to sign up for that. But this morning what we do, want to do right now, Jason, I'm going to go, go ahead and ask you to come back up. <coughs> Excuse me. What we're going to do right now is we are going to proclaim the death of Jesus. We're going to proclaim the death of Jesus. The Bible says this. It says, whenever you eat this bread, drink this cup, whenever we take communion together, whenever you eat the bread, whenever you drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.